Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 14th. Getting there. We're almost halfway through November. Anyways, it has been beautiful out. Cool mornings. Nice, mild, not too cold of days. And life's just kind of pucking along. So no complaints on that front. Got a good run in. The road work's been less bad. So here we are. Here we are. And, um, I want to talk about two people specifically. I mean, I I mainly want to talk about Trump today and where I think a lot of people are focusing on his gaffes. Like he keeps calling Barack Obama president and says that Biden's going to start World War II, like those type of things. And I'm going to argue that I think people are too focused on Trump's gaffes as of late, but not focused enough on the actual substance and rhetoric that is being kind of overshadowed by the stupidity of what he says. I've always thought that Donald Trump is someone that actually says some pretty scary shit, but he says it either using hyperbole or insanity or, you know, tongue-in-cheek, dog whistles, whatever you want to say. And so I think to a lot of people, they're focused on the theatrics of it and the insanity of it. And it's actually a really good political tool for someone like Trump because the media is going to freak out on just the optics of what he said, when in reality, what he said itself was actually pretty bad. And so we'll start with that, talk about some recent things that Trump has said that kind of terrify me. And then I do want to get into Gavin Newsom. They've cleaned up San Francisco. APEC is going to be happening there. And Xi Jinping is going to be meeting with Biden. And there's a little bit of anger because, let's just say, as I've talked about before, San Francisco has been kind of a disaster, and all of a sudden, it's clean. But it's not for the people of San Francisco, it's for the visitors, the other world leaders. I am no anti-globalist by any means, but if you are anti-globalist, not a great look. Not a great look. It's going to fuel your flames here. So anyways... (laughs) Donald Trump is getting a lot of backlash, and he's getting backlash because he compared political enemies to vermin who need to be exposed. The Hill writes, Trump, in a Veterans Day speech in New Hampshire, pledged, in quotes, to root out the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. Isn't that nice? And he basically talked about something that I've mentioned before, something that he's talked about quite a significant amount. It's kind of this idea that Outside threats like China, North Korea, Russia, they are bad, but they're less sinister, less dangerous, and less grave than the threat from within. Now, I consider myself someone that really likes to study fascism and is fascinated with fascism and has read a lot on fascism. This is, this is definitely getting closer to fascistic, or at least very right-wing authoritarian, a liberal rhetoric, when you are, tell, you are demagoguing your population into believing that the threat comes from within your own country, from the opposition political party. And Trump is doing that. And also, <laughs> I mean, calling his, I mean, basically saying that there's radical left thugs like vermin living within the confines of the country. I mean, that is straight Nazi rhetoric, but We won't go down that road too much, but yeah, that's like just directly quoted Nazi rhetoric. Not great. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as saying Trump is some Nazi by any means, but I mean, there are reports from, I think it was General Kelly who, who did write that Trump did have Hitler quotes on his desk 
again, can't be can't be confirmed or denied. But I mean, this is a guy who time and time again has at least dog whistled to some pretty dark forces in our recent past. So anyways, he then said later in the speech, he says in quotes, if you have a capable, competent, smart, tough leader, Russia, China, North Korea, they're not going to play with us. And of course, Democrats are outraged. And some Republicans expressed concern over his comments. Isn't that a nice Veterans Day speech? Literally citing almost Nazi-esque rhetoric on a day that we're celebrating people that actually fought against the Nazis. Not, not ideal. And, of course, the Trump campaign dismissed the criticism. And a lot of Republicans have been silent. Big shocker. Anyways, I think Amar Musa had a pretty good statement. He's a campaign spokesman for Biden. He said in quotes, on a weekend when most Americans were honoring our nation's heroes, Donald Trump, Donald Trump parroted the autocratic language of Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler, two dictators many U.S. veterans gave their lives fighting in order to defeat exactly the kind of un-American ideas Trump now champions. I can't, can't totally disagree. I, I really can't disagree by any means. And Trump also put these comments on, tro- on truth social. I want to call it troth social. But... Basically, the bigger thing here to me is that calling your political rivals as vermin, also calling them all socialists, communists, fascists. By the way, guys, sorry, I have to I have to be sidetracked for a second and say Trump keeps calling people on the left communists, socialists, and fascists. I don't think he knows what any of those words mean because fascism is literally like the inverse or the antithesis of communism. There's a reason why communists usually try to fight fascists and fascists usually are trying to rid the vermin of communists from their country. I mean, a lot of the early demagoguery against the Jews in Nazi Germany was labeling all Jews and leftists as communists and they were all part of a greater conspiracy. That's how the fascist movement, even before the really dark days after Kristallnacht, that's how all of that started. It was about a fear of the left, a fear of the communist red threat. And the Spanish Civil War, same exact thing. Whether Franco is a fascist or more of just a far-right dictator, there's a, there's a lot of debate in scholarly papers and history books about that, but either way, it was kind of a fascistic side trying to get rid of the left. So it, it is kind of insane because, again, fascism is corporatist, it, it is nationalist, it's traditional, it is based on imperial gains and expansion, usually through the use of force. It's about the masculine, traditional ideals. Communism is really not those things. Communist is not about the war machine. It's not expansionary in the terms of fascism. It is not a hyper-capitalist industrial movement that is meant to basically meld the state along with private corporate interests and militarism. It's just, they're not at all similar. So Trump doesn't know what he's talking about, but they're all buzzwords. Anyways, uh, Liz Cheney, of course, uh, she spoke out against it, but we all know what happened to her inside of the Republican Party. Ronna McDaniel, or Ronna Romney, if she was brave, she would call herself. She was asked about the remarks, and of course she declined. Same stuff, same stuff. I want to get to my other thoughts on Trump in a minute, but he also gave a <laughs> he gave an interesting interview to uh, Univision, and uh, this was kind of fascinating as well because it seems like I guess he's trying to reach out and gain more support amongst the Latino community. 
And I don't know if it's really working because I'll get into it in a few minutes about how he wants to do mass deportation and pretty much set up like camps on the border. I don't know if that's really going to appeal to a lot of the Latino immigrant community, but we'll save that. I'm going to play this, though. This is Trump again talking about weaponization and saying that because of what Biden is doing, he, if he were elected president again, he would also go after his political rivals. I think, I think the irony isn't lost on him that he was the one prior to Biden's inauguration that was talking about weaponizing the DOJ and state national guards to basically put up martial law to keep him in power. But anyways, we'll play the clip. I give some thoughts in it. Weaponized the Justice yeah. Department. They weaponized the FBI. Would you do the same if you're reelected? Well, the, he's unleashed something that everybody, we've all known about this for 100 years. We've watched other countries do it. And in some cases, effective. And in other cases, the country's overthrown or it's been totally ineffective. But we've watched this for a long time. And uh, it's not unique, but it's unique for the United States. Yeah, if they do this, they've already done it. But By the way... A lot of things Donald Trump did during his presidency were quite unique for the United States, quite unprecedented. And I think one could probably argue that if he had a more orthodox presidency and acted more like a at least decent human being, maybe some of the craziness wouldn't be happening right now. Also, the government's not coming after him for political reasons. Like, yeah, maybe the Stormy Daniels one I think is overrated, but... When you play with fire and break the law and play like a criminal for all of your life, they're going to make an example out of you when you're one of the most famous people in the world. It's, it's easy to get away with this stuff if you're like a nefarious billionaire who stays under the table and out of the limelight. But Trump's like addicted to the limelight, so it's easy to go after him. If they want to follow through on this, uh, yeah, it could certainly happen in reverse. It could certainly happen in reverse. What they've done is they've released the genie out of the box. You understand that. They've done something that nobody thought would happen. They've taken a president who was very popular. I got 75 million votes, much more than that, I believe. Mm -hmm. No president's ever got... Though his attorneys have been laughed out of court <laughs> at every time. ...that many votes. And they've taken that number of people, and I think you can double it or almost you can triple it in terms of the real, the feeling. You can't do that. You can't go after people. You know, when you're president and you, you've done a good job and you're popular, you don't go after them so you can win an election. They've done indictments in order to win an election. They call it weaponization. And the people aren't going to stand for it. But yeah, they have done something. Has anyone read what he wanted to do prior to January 6th involving the DOJ? He wanted to weaponize the DOJ to basically use martial law to make sure he remained in power. I call that weaponization too, by the way. That allows the next party. I mean, if somebody, if I happen to be president and I see somebody who's doing well and beating me very badly, I say, go down and indict them. Mostly that would be, you know, they would be out of business. They'd be out. They'd be out of the election. In my case, uh, it was, they were such pathetic indictments like I challenge the election. I challenge the election. They, everybody challenges elections if they think they're wrong. The Democrats challenged my election in 2016. Almost everybody, they challenged it. Well, nothing happened there. So these are very, these are political indictments. These are Biden indictments. And the people get it. They really get it. It's been very impressive to watch. Now, what I would also say is that 
there is a difference between challenging an election and then actually putting together a conspiracy to overturn said election. And I'm not going to go down this road too far because I've talked about it before, but Hillary Clinton, Democrats, they challenged the 2016 election. They thought that maybe there had been collusion. I think the collusion hoax, as some call it, did go on for too long. Unfortunately, Mueller, I think, is a good guy, and he did bring up some proof of the Trump campaign working with Russia. But he played too orthodox, too under the table, too old school, and it didn't work with a crazy person like Trump. The difference, though, is that Trump not only claimed the election was stolen, but then he literally tried to use his attorneys to weaponize alternative slates of electors to overturn the constitutional right that people have in this country. Completely different. Completely different in my opinion. But anyways, very unique interview to say the least. I also am curious what he means when he says in the next election if someone's doing well against him, because this is his last time he could run technically. Like if he wins this one, he's he's going to have two terms, right? So you can't really run for a third term. Maybe he'll try. I I just I don't know. The guys the guy's really unique right now. Yeah, I mean, I also just don't think it even comes to Trump's mind this whole norms thing. You know how he's talking about the norms have been eroded and Biden's ruining the country, eroding our political norms. I mean, it's just it's just lost on Trump that maybe he was involved in some of this stuff. Now, the next thing I want to talk about though is Trump's kind of fascination or fixation with Viktor Orban over the last few weeks. Maybe I haven't seen him talk about this sooner, but while the far right and some of the mainstream right have really become fans of Viktor Orban's kind of, I guess you could say, illiberal right-wing governance, I've talked about him before on the podcast, so we won't get a you know deep dive into Hungary, but he has eroded democracy in Hungary. And I, I want to play a, a clip of Trump giving a gaffe in a rally about Viktor Orban, but I don't think the gaffe is the serious part. It's what he's actually saying underneath. I was very honored as a man, Viktor Orban. Did ever, anyone ever hear of him? He's probably like one of the strongest leaders anywhere in the world. And- yeah, he's, he's pretty much eroded democracy and created a one-state party. So yeah, I guess that does make you pretty strong. And by the way, I think a lot of the a lot of the GOP MAGA base probably does know who he is just because he went to CPAC in Texas last year, which was pretty crazy if you ask me. He uh, he's the leader of right? He's the leader of Turkey fronts on both Russia. Fronts on both leader of Turkey, by the way. <laughs> by the way, it's a hungry Trump Mr. Trump, but you know, Turkey's also autocratic, so maybe he's just mixing up his dictators, I don't know. Yeah, you could sit down. We'll be here for a little. We got plenty of time. What the <laughs> hell? I'm very honored that you're all standing, but sit down. They'll be standing in a couple of minutes as soon as we say some of the things they like, because they're waiting. They're waiting for that. But Victor Orban, and he's the head of Hungary, and he runs it tough. Uh, let me tell you, he runs it properly. He runs it strong with crime and everything else. He runs it strong, and he doesn't let terrorists into his country. They said, what do you recommend for uh, Joe Biden if you could tell him anything? I tell him to resign and let Trump become president because nobody ran China, Russia, North Korea, 
Nobody ever did a job like Trump did a job. I tell him to get out, let Trump run things like he was doing for four years. Yeah, so uh, Viktor Orban, the Hungarian dictator who is, I guess, the leader of Turkey, according to Trump. But, in, but you know, okay, so a lot of people are making fun of how Trump says that Hungary borders both Ukraine and Russia. That is not true unless you view that Putin takes all of it back and all of that region belongs to Russia. Then you could maybe make the argument that that's the case. But a lot of people are, are laughing about how, A, Trump says that um, Hungary borders both Ukraine and Russia, but also that he calls Viktor Orban the dictator of Turkey. The thing here to me is, yeah, the gaffe is kind of funny, but underneath the surface, it's kind of troubling because why do you think Trump is praising Viktor Orban? Think about it. He's, he's basically eroded an independent judiciary. He's bought state media and pretty much made it so opposition parties can't function inside of Hungary. He's weaponized immigration. He has pretty much... He's pretty much attacked universities for anything he calls progressive or liberal thought. And it is, it is like racism, homophobia. He's, he's fighting to ban abortion. He's kind of exactly what a lot of the far right Tucker Carlson, Trump types kind of want in a leader. And so it's, it's alarming to me that he likes that because, yeah, he can say Orban leads Turkey and we can laugh, but the gaffes... The gaffes aren't what I'm taking seriously here. The gaffes are not the problem. Like, why is Trump all of a sudden bringing up Viktor Orban so much? It's because he wants to emulate Viktor Orban, and that's probably why Tucker Carlson and all these right-wingers go to, go, to, go to Budapest and all these places all the time, right? And then you also have to wonder, like, when Trump praises foreign leaders, it's never like <laughs> Japan or Spain or, I don't know, France or even Ukraine. He doesn't talk about the history of democracy in Greece. It's usually Hungary and China and the Philippines. And I think we have to ask ourselves why he always likes these strong leaders. We really do. And now, aside from his constant love and just fascination with dictators, he's also, <laughs> he's also put out some kind of troubling promises for his campaign. Basically, he's talked about a mass deportation operation, a new Muslim ban, and tariffs on all imported goods, and he wants freedom cities built on federal land where they would send drug dealers and some of the homeless population. And these plans would be <laughs> basically, well, they would lead to a dramatic overhaul in his first, like, that, that would be much, much worse than his first term. I mean, you could see chaos, infighting, executive orders, courts changing, people unaware of what's next. I've talked about the Heritage Projects, Operation 2025 Project, you know, stripping tens of thousands of career employees out of the civil service, making them right to work. That's Schedule F. Talked about that, but also, as David Frum has talked about, and I've talked about, if the reasonable people don't help fix immigration, people like Trump will. And his bid to secure the southern border sounds basically like militarizing it. The, associate, the Associated Press sorry, also writes here, in quotes, As part of his border plan, he says he would immediately direct U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to undertake the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. 
He would target people who are legally living in the United States but harbor jihadist sympathies. And he would revoke the student visas of those who expose anti-American and anti-Semitic views. He would also move thousands of troops currently stationed overseas to the border. Great time for that when we're seeing violence around the world. And then he also said to deter migrants, the, the article writes here in quotes, he said he would end birthright citizenship using an executive order that would introduce a legally untested interpretation of the 14th Amendment. <sighs> I mean, I think a rough estimate, you could say there's around like 10 million at least immigrants right now living in the United States. I don't know how you create a loyalty test without infringing on human rights and just getting authoritarian as hell. You know, since 2018, I've really worried about what Trump's end goal would be on the southern border, right? And I guess I was wrong about it happening before or around 2020. But it looks like maybe my timeline was just off a few years because you would need a massive mobilization of boots on the ground in the United States, searching down people, doing loyalty tests, jihad tests, and then also deporting undocumented immigrants. That would take a lot of force, a lot of time, and a lot of resources. And also, one of my favorite professors in my undergraduate studies always said, and it still rings in my head, you can't totally get rid of terrorism and still live in a democracy. Because unfortunately, terrorism is what happens in democracies when, like, basically, if you want a free society, there's always going to be radicalism as well. Because if you get rid of the radicalism, you probably also get rid of the freedoms along the way. And I think we've seen that with things like the Patriot Act. But it just seems like, again, David Frum says, if moderates don't fix this, the fascists or the authoritarians will. And I think if you combine mass deportations, loyalty tests getting rid of birthright citizenship, along with most Republicans now wanting to target cartels in Mexico and set up freedom cities on the border and also set up camps on the southern border, go back to child separation policies, you could see a pretty big nightmare scenario that leads to some bit pretty bad human rights crises down there and potential war and violence and just, just a complete breakdown of what it means to be the United States and... And then again, you mix that with calling his enemies, you know, vermin, right? And calling communists, calling all of his opponents communists, right? And then also at then the same time, then at the same exact time, also saying that you're going to, you know, lock up your political opponents like Biden did. It's, it, it is scary stuff. And so like, yeah, Trump says that Obama's still president <laughs> like seven times he said it now. And yeah, Trump talks about Orban being the leader of Turkey. He says Biden's going to start World War II. But don't focus on his gaffes as much as what he actually wants to do. And then, like, I mean, let's just look at the economy thing he wants to do. So like trade, right? He will institute a tariff, a system of tariffs on like 10% of foreign goods, according to reports. He, he said he will urge the Congress to pass the Trump Reciprocal Trade Act. I guess it's still lost on him that tariffs actually hurt us. It hurts us. <laughs> and he's focused on China, and it hasn't been good for the workers already. And then he wants to establish the only two genders bill. 
as you got, you guys know my thoughts on this. I think some schools have gone too far, but that sounds very authoritarian for the federal government to completely block all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think there's a lot more to worry about than just than just his gaffes. And he, let's see, what else is in his apparent platform? He wants to do patriotic education. The Associated Press also writes he has pledged to terminate the Department of Education. That sounds fun. I don't like the idea of getting rid of uh, of get, getting rid of the Department of Education, but doing patriotic education. And let's see, public safety. <coughs> Excuse me. Jill Colvin writes here in quotes: Trump would again push to send the National Guard to cities such as Chicago that are struggling with violence. He would use the federal government's funding and prosecution authorities to strong-arm local governments. She later writes. He said he will require local law enforcement agencies that receive DOJ grants to use controversial policing measures such as stop and frisk. He said, very simply, if you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. He has called for the death penalty for drug smugglers and for those who traffic women and children. I mean, maybe that one I'm... No, I'm not okay with it. I still think we need due process. But yeah, this is... He wants a federal takeover of a shit ton of issues that I thought conservatives were not for but again these are national conservatives this is a very different movement and it's it, it does terrify me especially when you look at the polling and how poorly biden is doing and that's again the case i make to my democrat friends you may be mad at biden but trump could be a whole fucking lot more worse and um okay so speaking though of crime in cities <laughs> this is a fun one so joe biden is hosting a lot of Asian leaders, including Xi Jinping, in San Francisco for the APEC meeting. This is going to be an important conference between Xi Jinping and Biden that will probably be one of the first important meetings between them since the war in Ukraine when most of the dialogue has just been about Putin's actions. And I'll probably do an episode later in the week once all of this is concluded. But a lot of people are just furious that it seems like overnight— with all these leaders coming to San Francisco, local and state governments have actually cleaned the city up. It took foreign leaders coming to San Francisco for Gavin Newsom and the city of San Francisco to actually do something about homelessness and garbage and trash and chaos. And I've seen videos and it looks pretty nice now. And I'm going to play just a little segment of Gavin Newsom's press conference because he's been getting a lot of criticism for this. folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, That's true because it's true. But it's also true for months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. So it's true because it's true. But they have been having different conversations. So hopefully down the road, that means that they're going to make this a long-term effort. And look, maybe there is a chance that that happens. And maybe this is that catalyst that was needed to finally jumpstart the process. But then again, like, I mean, where do all the people go? How do you make the city more affordable? I was reading like Target as well as Macy's. Just to name a few, they've left San Francisco because business just wasn't good. Employees didn't feel safe. No matter what people say, oh, it's a beautiful city still. Well, yeah, in theory. But when, when like every big store that usually does well in places is leaving, probably not a good sign. 
And so I understand that when you have foreign leaders visiting, you want to make you want to have the city looking good. You want to you want to impress world leaders. You want to bring people in and say, "Look how great everything is here." But I guess if you're a national conservative or a populist or an isolationist or someone who thinks we shouldn't be involved, kind of that RFK junior slash Trumpy type of voter, this just fuels your fire about how we don't care about the average person. We care about the elites and the global elites. And it's not a great look when Gavin Newsom's like, yeah, we're cleaning things up because world leaders are coming. I don't think that's great, you know, and this has always been my criticism of him is that I think he speaks well. I think he's smart. But he always, to me, seems like he's so focused on national and global issues and the global stage and the national stage, like running ad campaigns in Florida against DeSantis, calling out Trump, being basically Biden's, Biden's um, hype man, that type of stuff. He seems more engaged on the national stage. And that's always been my issue with him is that California has a lot of issues and it's just a bad look to only really be focusing now that world leaders are coming. And I understand it's hard. I understand it's not an easy fix, but at least you could be doing something because it looks like they did it pretty quickly for this. And it's just a bad look. So anyways, um, I, I, I don't know if I would ever actually support like a Gavin Newsom for president. He's just too polished and just seems to want the attention so much. And I just don't know if a lot of California cities... And just California's entire economy right now is good for everybody. Anyways, um, that'll do it for today. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Have a great day.